was on David and David um, in the desert and fleeing from, from Saul and the, uh, the preacher was, or the, the speaker was trying to tie it into the fact that David trusted and believed in God and um, his verbal expressions alone were sufficient enough, which is where it got way off kilter. But got me thinking about David and um, David in the desert and his fleeing from Saul and if David is the uh, the author of, of Psalms and many of the Psalms, uh, my computer is going to restart. So we're, we're we're going to add live while it starts back up, and that'll be fine. If um, if in fact he is the author author of many of the Psalms, he wrote some of the most beautiful Psalms. While he was fleeing persecution, he was fleeing his potential, and maybe even felt um, like his imminent death. And um, yet, if he is the author of many of these psalms, then he put his full trust and faith in God. And uh, he believed in God's deliverance. And then I got really zoomed in and narrowed in on um, the verses and the phrases and the teachings associated with being sheltered under his wings and having that blessed assurance of God's protection, his deliverance, and we've been talking about God's promises, and I keep saying this might be my last sermon. Maybe this will be my last sermon on God's promises, but um, it got me to thinking about that, and I started zooming in on some of the Psalms, and that's where I wanted to, uh, to try to, to tie some of this together for us tonight in our thoughts. Um, we can read of David's, if you're looking for a reminder, we're not going to go there together tonight, but you can go to 1 Samuel and you can start in chapter 21 and you can make your way for the next 10 chapters or so, maybe a little more, a little less, but until it ends in chapter 31, you can, can read about David's fleeing from Saul and um, the struggles that he went through and you can put yourself somewhat in his shoes and understand sometimes the depths of his despair and his depression and his loneliness, even though he had folks around him on many occasions. And then as you read through these beautiful psalms and some of those assurances, um, you can get, in my opinion, a, a little better or deeper appreciation of um, how much he trusted in and loved God and loved God's words. David fled from the cities to, uh, to the mountains, to the caves, to the forest, to the desert. And Saul pursued him up until he didn't, and he finally stopped. Um, or up until Saul's death, I guess, because a couple of times he told David he would, would stop, and he, and he relented, which was Saul's nature, it feels like. <clears throat> and um, I wanted to pick up and start here. I didn't realize TV went off. I thought it was all on my computer. And while we are waiting on it to, to boot up and see if we can go to Psalm 36. That's where we're going to start tonight. And these are not in particular order, just in some ways that in my head I thought I could weave them together and try to make them make sense. If they don't, you'll have the references, and um, maybe there will be as much value to you as there was to me. I got to thinking about 
under the wings of, of God and God's assurance and protection and all that comes with it. And my flight home, if y'all don't recognize it by now, I draw, draw a lot of inspiration and influence around God's um, fantastic and beautiful physical world that he has made. I got to see the sunset over northern Georgia from 34,000 feet. And I got to understand some of God's beauty, um, and I got to thinking about these verses of, um, of being under his wings. All right. Now we've got it in presentation mode. There we go. All right, well, we're going to start in Psalm 36 and verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. If you are using an English Standard Version, maybe even New King James, I don't remember, but you might see that, that last part is, all of mankind puts their trust under the shadow of thy wing. And at cursory glance, we might all think that's not true. But if you will ever give your, allow yourself a little bit of, of time and, and opportunity when you're on Facebook or when you interact with folks, when they are in their darkest of times, many times folks who otherwise never think about God will tell you that they need prayers or that they are praying for you or that they are praying for somebody else or they'll say something relating to uh, hopefully God will deliver us. And um, that's what the psalmist, I think, is expressing here. Mankind knows and recognizes there, there is a greater being than themselves. And they have greater purpose than uh, than what they what they see around them and connect around them. I'm going to use, like I told you, and play a little bit on the, the the thought process of in the shadow of thy wings or in thy shadow. And so I'm going to move through a few verses, and then hopefully we're going to be able to tie it together well with God's assurances and promises for us in the New Testament. And that. I next wanted to go to Exodus 19. Exodus 19 and verse 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. And this is a, a good illustrative picture of God's strength and um, God's deliverance and that he did bring his people it was by his strength and by his will and by, by his might and his desire that they were brought out of Egypt, nobody else's and the representation of the eagle's wings here is that of strength Deuteronomy 32 I love this one verse that's, that's mixed in amongst Many, many other verses here um, where Moses is, has recorded his, his song and there's a reminderance to the uh, remembrance to the people, to the Israelites of all that they've been through and their faithfulness and their unfaithfulness and how they have rejected God on and off. And then right there in the middle is this imagery, um, this illustration of an eagle. 
Verse 32, 11 says, As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. I want you to think about this with me in terms of um, picture this eagle, this mother eagle and her young ones in the nest. We're going to make application to Israel and to us. But when you think about where it says, she stirreth up her nest. She's calling the chicks, her, her children, her babies. She is stirring up their attention and their attitudes and bringing their focus on her so that she can teach them, so that she can instruct them, so that she can assure them that um, she is taking care of them. All of those things are or what that mother eagle is doing as she's stirring up that nest and, and rousing them together, maybe bringing them close. Maybe she's regrouping her, uh, her wings around them. Maybe she's tucking them in underneath them. But it's, a, it's an imagery and a picture of the fact that she is drawing their attention and drawing them toward her. As she fluttereth over her young. Now there's two uh, potential imageries that might come here to you. Number one, that fluttering could just be her relaxing or readjusting her wings again to bring her chicks underneath her. It's a sign of um, protection. It's a sign unto them that they belong to her and that she cares for them. She's concerned about their safety. That fluttering of wings could also be an attention getter for the other birds of prey that might be near or those that would maybe um, be in intending to inflict harm upon her nest and she is just showing and flexing a little bit that those of the nest are hers and under her protection the imagery of spreading her wings imagine that eagle just popping her wings and stretching them out to her chicks that represents her strength and her protection and i'm here for you and i am ready whatever comes my way to the other birds of prey and to those that would be potentially of harm to her nest. That is a call that I am ready. And these are mine and these are under my protection. And if you're coming at them, you're coming at me. And that mother eagle is ready. Her wings are spread. And her, um, her message is, I will protect that which is mine. It's also an imagery of the fact that she is ready. You think about her nest and she has stirred them to attention she has fluttered her wings, and maybe that is um, some continued education, teaching those, uh, those young chicks of how to use their arms and how to exercise them through emulating her. And as she's got them spread out, she is ready. If they leave the nest and they are in danger, she is there to deliver them. That might mean that she is there and ready to swoop them up and to bring them back to safety. That could be that she is there and ready where it says that she's ready to bear them. And as they're falling, she will catch them and she will bear them upon her wings. It's a beautiful imagery. And you think about why in the world did Moses include that image and that image of protection and assurance and strength and giving those chicks confidence? Well, that's what God did for Israel over and over again. He provided instruction for them. He, he garnered their attention, first of all, I guess I should say, when he stirred up the nest. 
He fluttereth over them. He was with them, watching over them, caring for them, spreading his wings. He was protecting them over and over and over again. He was ready to, um, to lift them back up when they would fall. And we know and understand their journey of obedience and disobedience and repentance back to obedience to disobedience and repentance. And God was always there and ready to bear them upon his wings. Isaiah 31 and um, 46 continue this out a little bit different. Isaiah 31 verse 5 says, As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. The thought may be there of birds flying, whether that is best interpreted as flying or hovering here, um, again, is a sign of protection and oversight and care and compassion. But the assurance there, this time from the prophet, is that he is ready to defend Jerusalem. And as he is over Jerusalem, that's the same thing he is sharing to those enemies. You come up against my people, and I will defend them. And not only is the assurance that he would defend them, but that he would deliver them. And again, you think about um, Jerusalem and how she sometimes turned her back on God and his ways and um, would rise and fall in obedience as well in their weakness. He stood ready to defend it. Isaiah 46 and verse 4, And even to your old age I am he. And even to whorehairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry, and will deliver you. And I pulled this one out because, the, the first of all, recognizing the first part of that, even to your old age and your whorehairs means even to the, to the oldest of your age, when your hairs turn white, um, past gray, when your hairs are white as cotton, I will carry you because I've made you. Because I know you, I will bear you, I will even carry, and I will deliver you. And that's the blessed assurance that we as Christians are looking for. This is back in the Old Testament, in this case being spoken by the prophet to, uh, to Jerusalem, and the assurance that if they were faithful unto God, that he could deliver them. Back to Psalms then, in Psalm 57 and verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Again, whether David is the psalmist or not, the psalmist here, and you're going to see many of these start to sound very, very familiar. This one and the next reference I believe I have, Psalm 17, both sound um, pretty close to Moses, uh, his song in Deuteronomy 32 there that we looked at. Um, but here is, first of all, placing my trust and my faith in, in God. And the shadow of his wings means under his safety and under his assurances. In Psalm 17, verses 7 and 8, again, sounds very familiar. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. 
see a lot of similarities, but a lot of trust and faith um, of the psalmist. Psalm 61. I may have to use my book here. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me, and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert or cover of thy wings. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life, and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. In my opinion, this is uh, one of the Psalms of David, but again, if you don't ascribe it to me, it's okay. The psalmist here is assured that God will hear his prayers. God has the ability to bring him through that which overwhelms him. And that God has the ability to shelter or protect him and to deliver him. I think I have one more, and then I'm going to tie it into some New Testament verses, hopefully. Psalm 63. I probably needed to give it more context than just one verse there. Maybe not. Psalm 63, 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. I probably didn't include them all. You probably have many other verses um, that you can think of, of being under the shadow of God's wings, under his wings, in his fold, um, resting upon his breast. And we sing those songs such as Blessed Assurance and um, being in, in, in his breast and under his wings. What I wanted to, to make really sure that we pulled out I, I thought was valuable for me. And maybe I should have said the psalmist there where it says David. The psalmist was certain of God's power. He was certain of God's might. He was certain of his care, care, concern. He was certain of his compassion that he did look upon his people. He was certain of the fact that God could deliver him and would deliver him. And again, if we're tying many of these uh, back to David, and all that he was enduring and going through at that time. It was an incredible encouragement to him, and it was an assurance that he kept that long view of the fact that whatever was going to happen on this earth was going to happen. And if those bad things did come to pass, he still had his strength, his refuge, his, his all was in God, because he knew God could deliver him either in this lifetime or in eternity. I included a couple more there that I thought helped bear this out. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, through the, though the earth be moved, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's uh, verses 1 and 2, by the way. I don't know why I didn't put right after that. Um, Psalm 2, 
Starting at verse 5, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up on a rock. And then in Psalm 62 and verse 5, starting at verse 5. My soul wait, thou, my soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And that's my transition piece. Think about the psalmist, whoever you subscribe the psalmist of Psalm 62 to be. And the statement there from that psalmist, their all in all, their trust, their everything is in God and in his deliverance and in his salvation. He is pouring out his heart before God and he is clinging to um, that which is precious to him. I didn't include it because I didn't have time to, uh, to go back and find it, Jimmy, but I think you referenced... Maybe it was Proverbs 20 or Proverbs 2, Proverbs 20, maybe of um, finding that which is precious, purchasing that which is precious, and keeping it close, um, and building up our hearts and minds. Wearing it, I think, it was the reference, um, as is a necklace around us, to keep it close to when we need it. We have God's assurance and God's love and God's care and God's protection. But I do want you to notice in Psalm 91, and we've made this statement several times over the last several weeks, David or the psalmist understood that his relationship with God is what blessed him. Now, we've said a lot of these assurances are conditional, and a lot of them are. In Psalm 91, David is just calling to, to mind the fact that regardless of what happens, I have my trust and faith in God. Because bad things are going to happen, I don't ascribe to you that the fact that Psalm 91 teaches you that these things will not befall us. Because that, if that is the case, and that is what we teach, then we have a struggle with the apostle, I guess most of the apostles, and in the things that they face. Because death did befall them, and pain and suffering did befall them. And sometimes um, ailments be, befell them. or So they did suffer physically upon this earth in one way or another. But yet their trust and their faith and their everything was in God. Because they understood he could deliver them. Because he would deliver them. Let's read through Psalm 91, what I have on the screen here. Beginning at verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that uh, flieth by day, 
nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shall thou trample under feet, because he hath sent his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91 is a reassurance that our relationship with God means something to God. He wants us to have a loving relationship with him and to express that love of him in our obedience. We mean something to him. I think this audience probably knows and understands that well. You mean something to God. He loves you. He loves all of his creation. He wants none, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you're special in that when you put on Christ in baptism, when you came to him in obedience, you became his. And he seeks that we keep that relationship. Bad things may befall us, as we see in Psalm 91, but we still love him. Bad things may happen to us, but we still belong to him. Bad things may harm us, things may afflict us, but we still have the hope of an eternal life. That's the blessed assurance that we sing about and we remind ourselves of and that we cling to. We keep a relationship with him to show how much we love him. I did a bad job on that last bullet point. We seek to keep a relationship with him to show that we love him. We don't do it as a checklist. We don't do it because we believe we are working our way to heaven, but we do it because he's told us to. We do it because we honor him by doing so. We do so because we show the love to others that we understand that he showed to us. And here's how I tied it together in my head for, um, I guess, my education or inspirational purposes. When I thought about the fact in um, Psalm 91 that he said, he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. That word truth and the original um, in the original language, is only used once. And I didn't put that Greek word in here, and I'm not going to try to remember it because I would get it wrong. It is not the same reference as I have down below in, um, in Romans 8 and in others. It's the only occasion that it uses that specific definition, and others have translated it as his faithfulness. It still holds up to be one and the same. God is faithful to cover, to protect, to keep, those who trust and obey him.
Romans 8.1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That should be a tremendous assurance to each and every one of us. That's blessed assurance. As long as I am in Christ Jesus, and I am striving to honor that which I put on, there's no condemnation. I also think about um, John 14. I know I'm skipping through some, but I'll come back up. I think about John 14, where Jesus told us he's going to prepare a place for us. And where he goes, we can go too. And he's coming back someday to take us home. That's blessed assurance. And Revelation 21 and 22 then tells us that same thing. He will return. That is a promise. We can be assured of it. It is going to happen. And on that day, those that are his will be called unto him. And we'll meet him in the sky and we'll go home. That's blessed assurance. That's what the psalmist knew. That's what the psalmist clinged to. That's what David clung to. As he went through all that he went through, that's what the apostles clung to. As they struggled through the difficulties of this life. But you know that was a hard job. Being a Christian sometimes is a hard road to fulfill because not everybody wants to hear the truth. And not everybody wants to hear the truth but they want it their way. It's not an easy job being a preacher because sometimes we say things that people say, well, I sure stepped on a lot of toes. Or I didn't like the way it was presented. Or I didn't like the thought process. It's a tough job being an elder who has to oversee the flock and has to go to those who are in error, those who have fallen away those that have lost sight. But we endure. And we don't grow weary in well-doing because we know and recognize like the psalmists, like the apostles, like those in Hebrews 11, we call it Faith's Hall of Fame, that knew there was something beyond this. And that's what I'm working toward. And not to prove that I'm righteous to go home to heaven but to prove to him that I love him. And I'm going to keep that which he asked me to do because I love him. And I'm not going to do it well sometimes. And you're not going to do it well sometimes. Israel didn't do it well very often. God's people in Jerusalem didn't do it well all the time. Anyway, we know plenty of examples we can look through there. We know we're all... None of us are, um, are perfect, but we're striving to walk in the way that he would have us to walk and to do those things which he had asked us to do. I'm going to bear it out. I didn't put it here for each and every one of you, but maybe you'll have time to, uh, to preach and teach. I included it because I thought it might help some that would be in attendance. Go back to Romans 8 with me real quick. Maybe there will be some that will listen in. Where's my mind? That's on Romans 7. I was turning in the other direction. All right, Romans 8. Uh, we already read verse 1. I want to drop down. 
Let's start at 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also Freely give us all things. That predestination there, just like the preacher I was listening to on the radio, is misappropriated many, many, many times. This is not teaching that there were only select individuals that God um, selected by name or by individual person to be pre uh, predestinated. He did predestinate those who would be obedient unto him and answer that call. That is what that is teaching, and it is easy in context to keep that um, and to see that the way that, that it is born out there for us. Um, go over to Romans 3. Again, these are probably all reminders to you, but you may have a chance to preach and teach them. Maybe I won't in the future. Romans 3.24 um, I included there. 324, did I say 34? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. My point being there, redemption is in Christ. I don't think any of this audience would struggle with that. Go to Romans 6 again, or over to 6, 11. Likewise, uh, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know and recognize we have to have Christ. We have to have put on Christ. And if we're struggling with what it means to put on Christ, to put on Christ means to put him on in baptism. And the Bible makes that very clear. Um, and then I already told you the, or already covered John 14 and Revelation 20 there, and God's promise to you that he is coming again. And that when he returns, he is coming to, to take his faithful home. That's what you and I look forward to. That's what we ought to be mindful of. Um, it should be what is constantly in our thoughts and hearts and driving us each and every day. Keep that which you have committed. Keep your first love. Keep Christ at the forefront. Seek the kingdom first, and all other things will get their correct place. By way of invitation, to the best of my knowledge, each and every one of you here know and have uh, put on Christ in obedience. But we uh, we preach it and teach it anyway, and we offer each other every opportunity we have. We have to hear the word of God. Um, we read that in John 8.32, but we also um, have used Romans 10.17 for the last several weeks. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, so we know and recognize we have to hear, or we have to study God's Word. We have to believe. John 20 and 31 tells us, these things are written that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing might have life through his name. We have to be willing to repent. We know Acts 2.38 where um, 
those who ask, what do we do now, or what shall we do, we're told to repent and to be baptized for the remission of sins. We also have Acts 17.30, which tells us the times of this ignorance that God winked at. But now, sorry for the spelling error, now commands all men everywhere to repent. My in button doesn't work on my laptop all the time, so forgive me, there's three spelling errors there. But I think you knew it without reading it. Uh, we have to be willing to confess that Christ is um, who he says he is. He is the Son of God, and that he was willing to die, and because of him we have hope of a home in heaven. Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore confesseth me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. We have to be baptized for the remission of sins. We mentioned Acts 2, 38, but Galatians 3, 27. We've been using that the last couple of weeks. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That goes back to our point that we made earlier. In order to be in Christ, where redemption is found, we have to put on Christ in baptism. And finally, we have to continue to live faithful and to live in the Word. Revelation 2.10 is there. I skipped over my notes. I thought I had one there, too. I wanted to make a point of it. Um, I'll have to go back to it at some point. I think it's in John. might have been in Romans. Now I'm going to have to go find it. There was a little nugget within um, the study there in that Christ said those who continue to abide in my word. And if we were predestinated and preselected, why do I have to abide in his word? Why do I have to study it? No. If there's nothing I can do. That also would throw out the notion of total depravity or um, the, the teaching there is that there's nothing I can do to be saved or nothing I can do to be lost. And that doesn't hold up with the Bible. It also would throw out once saved, always saved because then there's nothing I could do to fall. Why in the world would Christ tell me I need to know his words and I need to continue in them in order to, uh, to be one of his? So don't fall for those things. Be assured of your salvation. To the best of my knowledge, each and every one that is here today is part of God's family, but um, if you feel that maybe you weren't baptized for the right reasons or in the right way, we would be more than happy to study that out. And make sure that, that it is the case that you did do it properly and for the right reasons. If you have, but you have separated yourself from God in some way, come back to him. Israel did. Jerusalem did. David did. David wasn't perfect. But he was a man after God's own heart. David's a fantastic study. I can put myself in David's shoes a lot of times. I can assimilate sometimes with him. Both his attitude, his, his anger, many, many things. I'm um, very thankful that God gave us an account of David in the Bible. He was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. He struggled, and he, uh, he had to repent and turn from his ways many times. Be assured of your salvation. Look forward to that home in heaven and that day that we get to go there and be with him. You can be assured it is going to be reality because God said it so. And I'll leave it at that. If there are any here that need to respond to the Lord's invitation, please come as we stand and ask yourself.